just general respect and understanding, like I'm building a strategy. Here's a strategy. We're going to agree to disagree in some areas. We're going to come to a middle ground and then let's get to work. That's super important to me because I also want to feel like who I'm working for trusts me, likes me, and respects me. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate, and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with PR specialist and co-founder of Black and Fashion Council, Sandrine Charles. Welcome, Sandrine. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me, Kate. It's good to reconnect. Yes. So we start off every episode with the question, what was your first freelance rate? What was my first freelance rate? I think it was like $1,000. Are we talking like day rate? No, like I think it was like a project rate. And I was like, oh yeah, $1,000 is like 22, 23. I feel like that's pretty good. We've had some low ones. I'm not going to lie. Uh-uh. No. A little pricey over here. <laughs> Even when I was like, I'm still working on it. I'm like, yeah, it's still not going to be for free. That's good. We don't like to work for free. We're not big fans of that. Can you kick us into now what you're just like your career path? Where did you start? How did you evolve into going freelance? Uh, well, I guess I come from corporate, right? I was interning at larger companies. And then I pivoted, of course, into agencies. And through that variety of job learning curves, as well as progressing, I decided now six years ago to just freelance. Like when I left, I was like, I'm just going to freelance. It is not at all for me to start an agency, which is what ended up happening. But the idea was just to have some more free time work on projects that I love and figure out the rest. But within two months, I have a company. When you decided to go freelance, what was that moment where you were like, okay, this is the time for me to do it? I was just running really low on energy. I remember we were working together while I was you know, working on all that stuff with Kit. Then I launched Noah. Then I was working on everything at that agency from like a G-Shock to projects. And I was really fulfilled. I was like, wow, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. But it did become timely in terms of the amount of work, the lack of personal time I was getting. So by the time I transitioned into Starworks before starting my own, I was still in that same wheelhouse managing a larger team and everything was fine. I fully enjoyed it. I just wanted to figure out if I had some breaks for my mental health. Mental health is everything. And I think now especially coming from the the fashion industry of what you and I were in at that time too. It was like, I felt really peak in New York City of all these amazing brands coming out of, out of New York. And there was a really big fashion show scene and there was a lot of demand for PR. So I can only imagine how crazy you were. And like you said, we worked together on some pretty great projects. And when I was at Details Magazine, you were at Exposure and you were constantly doing things between press days and events and gifting. I can only imagine where you were. The hustle was real. 
So I think that's a great reason to really put yourself first and think about what you need before getting even deeper into that hole of not taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I did start, like I was balancing smaller things and then bigger projects and bigger clients came my way. And I'm like, if I do this, I need to do it now. I don't want to do it later in life when I'm just trying to relax myself. So it really was the start of the work that I do now and and then having such a larger team now and still operating sometimes like in freelance mode, like I'm still doing certain launches by myself, but it's definitely now a balance of both worlds. So starting your agency during the time that you did must have been pretty intimidating. A lot of people within our year were quitting their full-time jobs, leaving the big agencies to start either going freelance or starting their own agency. What do you think sets you apart compared to any other PR agency? Transparently, I wasn't paying attention to anyone. And I think what sets me apart is I really am in my own bubble and in my own lane. I support my peers. I pass projects and so forth and contacts back and forth. But in the sense of like what sets me apart, I live my real life outside of work. Work it doesn't consume my every day, every second of the day. And I just want to have that balance in real life. So I guess because I don't pay attention, really. I mean, I congratulate my peers. I want to see everyone win. But I'm definitely not really hyper-focused on what everyone's doing. I think when we were coming up and also being in New York, and actually in any industry, competitiveness is something that like really can bring you down because you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and to other companies. And you kind of lose focus on what your main goal is, is when when you are hyper-focused on what everybody else is doing. I think you start to lose like your values and your main focus of what your end goal is. Just a streamline of thought is lost. Yeah. Because you're too busy focused on everyone else. Yeah. I don't have enough time in the day. (laughs) And what's for me is for me. So there's like, if it comes my way, then great. If it doesn't and it goes to someone else, then great. There's like no love loss. When starting the agency, what was, do you feel was the most challenging hurdle for you personally and for the business? I will say I didn't have a hard time starting it. I started the company while I was freelancing, I had a great friend whose office was down the street from Starworks. And he's like, Hey, if you need an office here, you can get an office here. So it was really iconoclast myself and stadium goods were all on the same floor back then. And it was great. Cause I'm like, Oh, my people are here. We're just all doing our thing on our own. And it's an easy transition from not having to really hard source an office and Brands were coming to me after I sent my exit letter, which is great because I wasn't sure, you know, where anything would land and editors were referring me for opportunities. So I wanted to just ensure that like, I'm going to do it. Everything will fall into place with, which it really did even to like my next two offices and even our current one now, it's like, it's been just a success. And I also thank the experience I had prior to being a director of departments knowing the operations and the back end of a business and able to prepare myself when I was getting to that stage. Isn't it great how when you're working at an agency and like it's a smaller agency, for example, you kind of are seeing the ins and outs of a business. And then actually 
being able to apply that to your now business, I think is something that you're not realizing that you're learning in the moment. Yeah, I was just trying to do my job. Exactly. In reality, I I never set out to to do my own agency. Like people were like, oh, you should start your own. And I'm like, "Mm, I like having free time. And then it happened. And I'm like, I do enjoy what I'm doing. And then I do enjoy that my clients respect me and that I'm working with my peers in different spaces. But as I was like, it cannot be a headache. In the beginning, it wasn't. In the beginning, everything was super easy. It was flowing. I had an employee, one employee. I had a lawyer and I had a finance person. I said, this is all I need. I can vacation more often. It was cool. And then as we began to grow, I had to expand the team. And then you you learn also with that, like hiring people, firing people, people moving on and being with you for a long time. Those are things I didn't necessarily plan for. I'm like, oh, I'm really sad. I really do enjoy this person, the great work they did. However, I need to let them fly, just like I had to fly when I was their age and explore. So I think those are more of the hard ships versus like the actual work or preparing for my business because that streamlined pretty easily, I must say. The business side grew very organically for you. Yeah, like no cold pitching, none of that. It just and to this day we're still referral based. I'm not pitching cold business, and I would hope that the business that finds me is also business I want to work with. And so we chat. I know. I feel like it never really gets easy to let go of people from your team, and hiring also can be such a challenge. Yeah, that's also such a challenge because. You don't really learn those skills anywhere besides when you're just doing the hiring and the firing and there's no easy way to let go. And your team becomes your family in some ways, you know, you're around them a lot. And of course you want to see them grow and flourish. So the emotional aspect of it can be, I think, a challenge for a lot of people that are scaling their businesses or growing or at the point where they're like, okay, we don't need to grow anymore. We're happy where we are. But even when you're happy where you are, I don't want to be a large company. I like having a small team. I remember I said this to Lawrence and I was like, I'm okay with being like the Olivia Pope and just having a small shop. I don't need to manage 20 people. I I don't want to, but like we're small under 10, right under 10. And I think that that's good for now. It's good for me to bounce when everyone's just doing their thing and they know what they're doing. It's more fruitful for me. And then for other people that want to have massive companies, great. (laughs) No, totally. You've been in the industry for so long and you've also have such an amazing network. How do you maintain this network of yours? I mean, I felt like such a bother when I'm like checking in, checking in, we want to go to coffee or whatever, but it really does translate into building relationships outside of like just doing your job. And we know that we're talking to people across the table above and below at the same time, but you know, just keeping in touch with people has always been organic for me. And it does not always have to be tied to a client or an assignment. It could just be like, Hey, I want to go get my nails done. Do you want to go? And you're an editor that lives down the street from me. If you can't help me out with this story, it's cool. At least you're being honest. Let's move on. I'll go to someone else. So I think the organic nature of me just like being a people person and also being kind of low key, like I stick to the same people. I know like my friends in other areas, but like 
again, the mind my business mentality is really the way I like to live. I really respect that. You and I have grabbed multiple coffees. We've always maintained a really great relationship. And I've always loved just like checking in and seeing what people are working on or what big projects do they have coming up because it's really a community when it comes down to a network. And whenever I look at my network, I would love to be able to always say like, these are people that I could call in if I needed them to come and help me with a project or... If they say no, like you said, it's like no hurt feelings. We continue on. But a network really needs to be your own little individual community that you can rely on for asks at, at certain times. I want to go back to your your clients. I know you say it, you don't pitch clients, which I really respect. But what are some of the requirements that they need to meet in order to work with Sandrine Charles? The one reason why I don't do the cold pitching is when I was at agencies, it's like, I'm trying to convince someone to like me, right? Essentially, you're trying to convince the brand to like you, to want to work with you all while fighting (laughs) and vying for their attention for the business. And what I do like about the referral system that's in place, it wasn't figured out that way. It just happened like that again, organically, is that people are like, Hey, I, I know you for your work. I know what you've done. I've seen what you've done and I would like to work with you. Granted, every client's results aren't going to be the same, but there's a there's a foundational respect that I like and that there's a want to work with each other. Now, if it's great or if like I couldn't get them to where they wanted to be, there's really like that still general respect. Like, listen, I've done everything I can. Maybe in three years, if you have a different launch or a different campaign ideation and it does great, I'm still going to cheer you on. But my theory is I'm going to do the best I can for you. So at minimum, brands need to come correct with the budget. This isn't a game. I don't know why. I, I know some people really don't charge. I think me knowing the budgets at larger agencies that I worked for, I know what it, the worth is and where I should be sitting. So it's always going to be structured that way. And then as a follow-up, what do you have going on? Are you going to value my opinion, my feedback? Do you trust my direction, my team? Because it's one thing to trust me, but like if you're only emailing me and not my team, I'm not looking like I could be doing this. And then so someone else has to answer and, and they're very qualified to respond to your inquiry or provide you with assets, et cetera. And if, if we're not all on the same page and you don't want to talk to anyone else, then we're not going to talk because I'm only a one woman. I cannot do everything at every point in the day. So I think those are my baseline, just general respect and understanding. Like I'm building a strategy. Here's a strategy. We're going to agree to disagree in some areas. We're going to come to a middle ground and then let's get to work. That's super important to me because I also want to feel like who I'm working for trusts me, likes me and respects me. I really do love that. I think a lot of brands come to you or any other, you know, agency or freelancer because they're they're coming to hire you because you're a specialist in this field. So I think that that's a really great way to approach new clients, especially because when it, it comes down to a launch of something, they obviously have a very specific vision, but they're also hiring you because they know you can execute it in the way that they would want it to. And the same with existing clients too. Like I have a client that's been me for five years. 
I have to respond to their email after this because they sent me a lengthy email where like he understood my edits, but he's like, can we discuss this, that, and the third? And I'm like, absolutely. Like, I can't wait to write him back because I want the dialogue. He's like, I want it to look like this. I understand why you have it looking like this. And we're going to find the middle ground. But I'm also going to say, you know, this is what editors are actually going to cover. This is what they're not. So let's also work in that sense. But he and I can have these conversations and it's fine. So new and existing clients, it's like, again, foundational respect. Just respect me and pay me on time. That's all. (laughs) Pay me on time. That's key. (laughs) That's it. I have other people to pay. (laughs) Yes, you do. You have a team. So what do you feel is missing in the PR world that could make it feel a little bit more inclusive segment of the industry? I think there are a lot of us who left agencies and bigger companies that have a a group chat and it's very inclusive. I mean, people who I probably be like, that's like someone I don't want to talk to ever are now like exchanging, you know, details or needing support, et cetera. There is a community. It's not very much on front street, but it's there. And I think with the generation coming behind us, hopefully learning and seeing the way we operate by example versus like, you know, in the past, not knowing what PRs are friends with who, and you work here and I work there. So we can't be friends kind of vibe. We are leading by example by being collaborative. Like my friend Tanique, Tanique left a larger agency. I work one of her clients show every season and so does my team. It's more so being there for your people and they will do the same for you. Then in the end, we're definitely changing the way we work. Our generation definitely changed it. We're not enemies. No. (laughs) We're all just like, how can I help you? I feel like our generation, especially within the fashion industry, was super collaborative from the get. Even our first year in the workforce at our full times. I mean, gosh, the amount of times I wrote you for an urgent poll for a shoot and you like magically made it happen. And then we, that's how like we became friends. And I have a lot of PR people actually, like my PR friends is from those like, urgent or we went through like a really big trenches together totally (laughs) and I think that's like what really brought us together because we had to work together in order to make each other look good to our bosses Mm -hmm. so we found that like foundational support system and then we have always kind of I think grew up together and going to each other's events or going to each other's like press days You doing this with us for freelance founders, it is such a great way for us to show the younger generations that like you can be super collaborative with each other and show each other that support and love outside of just working together in a physical space. Yeah. And I think that's what sets the tone for like, hopefully Gen Z to Mm -hmm. see that like, this isn't a caddy. We can be friends, we can work collectively, we can be helpful to one another. And so when we're not, it doesn't make you win faster. (laughs) Like it actually hurts you because you're going to need someone along the lines, you're going to contact someone for your client to collaborate with, you're going to need that liquor brand for your event. And you're sitting here being nasty to someone, it doesn't really benefit you in the long run. I would love to get into the Black in Fashion Council. You are the co-founder. Can you share a little bit more of why you started the BIFC and what it means to you? 
Yeah, Lindsay and I started BIFC when we were noticing a pattern. I mean, she wrote a story for the cut um, and nothing really has changed amongst our next time, our next stage in life, right? And, and now we're in COVID and it's glaring. And so at that point, we just connected with our peers. It was over 400 people for one Zoom. It was like 300 people for another. And the ultimate outcome was the council. And we were trying to create an organization which would stand long-term, which we are in working with brands and companies in the industry to work on a universal standard. And so two years in, we've had um, our report, which 40 plus brands participated in. We had four seasons thus far with IMG and more partnership opportunities to follow. We've worked with Fred Siegel and Tresemme and Depop. I'm trying to think of who else is on a couple of brand initiatives. We're still doing the work. We have our job board. We're preparing for a job fair. Oh, that's so exciting. It's really great to give back. And eventually we're going to, I mean, right now it's three of us working, <laughs> me and Lindsay and then our assistant. So while all while having full-time jobs, so we know that it's going to be a slow burn and it's great that it is because it gives us time to also prepare better for everything. And now that COVID is slowly, hopefully, rearing her head the other way, we can focus on in-person activations, talks, community efforts, those things of that nature. I love that. I think what you guys are doing is so important. And again, I think it's, you're giving so many people opportunities, especially like the younger generation as well, showing them that there is all different sorts of communities out there that are there to support one another. And it's been really fun watching this grow and to see you behind it. Where do you see BIFC going from here? I know you're doing more in-person events, but what would be your dream for this? Well, it is its own company, right? So we we're operating at a company level and obviously we want to continue to grow and expand and, and do more uh, work. But, you know, year by year, quarter by quarter, quarter, we have set goals that we've been hitting and achieving. So, you know, just continue doing the work we're doing and being more and more fruitful and incorporating more and more people into the mix and having more opportunities to network, connect, align with people. And hopefully everyone finds their tribe. And we do partner with other groups as well. So it is always collaborative because we're going to always need each other. So that's where I see it. It's just onwards and upwards. I want to kind of get a little bit more back into like some thoughts from you and like from a brand perspective, we are more than ever in a society right now where we need to hold brands accountable. What advice do you have for brands and how can we collectively do better? I think the universal standard is also comes into play because if we're not operating under the same kind of protocol, then these mistakes, these mishaps pop up. And also diversity is imperative and not having diversity or not being aligned with what the real world looks like can always pose a problem for people, you know, in the long run when they release things or statements or campaigns or whatever, where they're being tone deaf. So I think that inclusivity and diversity play a huge role. And then as a secondary, it's just being aware, like we work with brands, we have calls with them. We go over initiatives and, and ways that they can be more inclusive, but it's also ultimately up to you in-house to figure out what works best for you moving forward. 
that was like a, the perfect answer. <laughs> we have three more questions to ask. We okay. ask the same ones at the end of every episode. So the first one is, how do you measure success and what does it mean to you? I measure success by honestly how great I feel after like a campaign launch or how great we feel after working on a project. Granted, I want to buy a house. (laughs) So like obviously money comes into play. So that's something else. But the joys of being able to sit here with you in the middle of my morning on PST time and do this without being interrupted. That's a measure of success to me. Like not having to be chained to my phone or computer, having the ability to be flexible. Right now it's a little stressful. We're getting into Q2. There are going to be pockets where I can go away for a week and just shut off. And the ability to do that more than once a year is success to me too. I never took vacations before. I mean, I've grown up taking vacations, but as an adult, in my senior years, I really wasn't going away. I was focused on working and building and creating things that I didn't take time for myself. So being able to book a trip and say, I'm gone, (laughs) that's it, is also great as well. Now that I think is something that we don't really look to. And I think also coming from a culture of like working, working, working and being so busy and not being able to take time off. It's sad to see because now since I've gone freelance, I mean, I'm getting better at it, but sometimes it's really hard for me to just shut off. And even my team, it's fine for them to just say, I need a day. I completely agree. Even if it is a half a day, like I just need, you know, I need to take the rest of the day off. And you know that you're going to get a better output from yourself and also from your team when they do take that time for themselves. So I I really respect that a lot. And I think a lot of other people do too. Do you have like a tagline or a mantra that you live by or share with your team? A tagline or mantra, probably my mantra is mind your business. (laughs) My life mantra. I feel like that's very on trend from this conversation. (laughs) Oh, just mind your business. But the mantras do the best you can. One of my sorority sisters told me years ago, like, take the best, forget the rest. Like, take the best out of everything. Mm -hmm. Forget the things that didn't go well. It happens and move forward. And I think I held on to that because I'm like, there are so many ebbs and flows in like my career that I don't necessarily, I mean, I talk about it, like getting fired from my first job, like that's fine. But I, I, I don't necessarily sit and harbor that feeling and marinate in that because I don't think I would get to where I am now, which isn't where the peak of where I want to be, but I feel like I am on my way to getting every goal achieved before I retire. I agree. I'm a big believer, like allow yourself to feel what you're feeling in the moment, but then like move on because it's only going to hold you back if you continuously dwell on it. And even like holding on to massive wins, like, yes, those are great, but then like, we got to move on. There's going to be other wins down the line and there's going to be other bad things to happen. You can't hold on to that feeling because you're never going to allow yourself to open your yourself or anything else up to what's in the future. And there's so much possibility. Someone 
doesn't love it at the end, that's fine. We did it. But I'm not going to kick myself when I worked day and night to make something happen. Okay. And the last question to bring it all back to the very first question, you shared what your first rate was. Could you tell us what your ballpark rate is now? Starting range five figures. Okay. Depending on it. Some could be like a, a high four, but we, we're, we're, we're over there. We're over there. <laughs> we're the- I like that because I remember meeting with you right when I started freelancing and we were sitting at Soho House. I was just like, how do you charge? And you were just like, I have a minimum. And if they can't meet that minimum, I start getting up. And it doesn't matter who's in the room, but I'll just be like, okay, thank you. Like, I appreciate this. I don't think this is going to work. And I just always respected how you stuck to your worth and like what your minimum was and you never took anything less. And so I really respect that out of you because you like really inspired me to do the same. Yeah. I I mean, if I do a project for my friend and I know they don't have a lot, then fine. Or if it's like a brand that I really believe in and I know I'm going to grow with them, then that's a one-off. That's not consistently across the board. I can't pay people competitive salaries if I'm taking what I started with and accepting that. And I think that as I grow and that they see where where I am and what I'm capable of, that they will meet me where I am because they meet men all the time. They don't question them and they give them exactly, exactly what they ask for. So alas. Well, I just <laughs> want to say, I appreciate you and like your goals. Thank so. you, my love. Well, Sandrine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This was so fun. We will be sharing your website and the BIFC website as well. So people can follow along with you. So thank you again. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my chat with Sandrine Charles. You can find out more about Sandrine by visiting her website at sandrinecharles.com. To learn more about freelance founders, head over to our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much and have a great day.